Alright, so lesson four on the, the sufficiency of scripture. And so, um, all the lessons kind of build on each other. That's kind of how I, I set it up. You know, you had the, the first lesson, week one, dealing with having a biblical worldview, uh, a general view of who God is as creator, and that impacts the way we view our world around us, our personal life, and impacts everything, knowing that there is a God, that God is real. That creation cries out that there is a God, and, but we talked about how that's not enough. If you just stop at a general revelation of God and you don't have a special revelation of Christ, then it's, in, then it's, in, it's incomplete because Christ is, is the embodiment of who God is. And so, so at that point, lesson two, uh, we talked about justification, that when, by faith, by faith in Jesus Christ, that you are, you, you stand justified, righteous, fully righteous, not guilty, that you can stand before heaven, before a holy God as a believer, fully righteous. And so then, lesson three, we, st- we talked about the sanctification process and how, you know, yes, as a believer, you're fully righteous, you're not guilty, but you still have this flesh that you, that you live in. And so this new nature dwells in a flesh that was trained by your old nature to follow sinful passions. And so it's this lifelong process that never stops until you get to go to heaven. And, uh, and so it's this process of forgiving those who offend you, not getting angry, um, um, you know, watching what you say. The, and, and in the process of all of this, the Holy Spirit is convicting you and helping you to grow. And what, what was one of the, what's the, the primary tool that we focused on that God uses to make us like Christ? What's that, that primary tool? The, God's Word. The, the, the Bible is the primary tool. God's Word is the, is the tool that God uses to sanctify us. Because here's the process. It's the, the kind of that three-step process. Starts with understanding. As we understand God's Word, then secondly, it, 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 we begin to develop convictions out of that understanding. And then our affections are impacted and our love is impacted and things that, that we love are impacted and things that we don't love are impacted. And so starts with God's word. So God's word is so important in the Christian life. And I think it's easy um, for people to be intimidated by the Bible and to think that it's just kind of not practical. It's complicated. I don't understand it. And uh, I taught a lesson on how to study God's word, and we will eventually come back back to that. It, it's a five or six week series on how to study God's word. Very practical tips. But God's word sometimes can feel like it's it's just kind of so distant and hard to understand. And you have to be a preacher or a scholar to really get it. But this fourth lesson really breaks down the sufficiency of Scripture and how practical the Bible really is and what what it what it is sufficient to do in our life as a Christian. And so sometimes we can we can underestimate its impact. We can think that the Bible, you know, maybe we're not even. Maybe we're reading it and we're studying it and we're not getting it. We're hearing messages and, and sometimes you can feel like, well, it's not really doing a lot in my life, but you can, you underestimate what it really is doing. God's word is not like any other book. It's not like the, the encyclopedia. It's not like your favorite novel that you're reading. There's words on the page in the Bible, but those words are divinely inspired. They are God's own words. They are His very words. And so, it's supernatural. God's word is supernatural. And so you may be reading it and it may feel like it's not making an impact in your life, 
But you have to, you, you have to develop a commitment to read God's Word because it's kind of like I, I say this in the, uh, in the Studying God's Word series. You know, if, if I told you, if I told you that God wrote a book, God Himself wrote a book and wanted you to read it, what would you do? You would, you would buy the book. And that's why the Bible is the number one bestseller on the, on the, on the, the New York Times bestseller list. It's never listed as the number one. There's always some other number one because there would never be a number one. There would always be a number two on the list because the Bible is always the number one bestseller because of its nature. Now, people want to downplay its nature. They want to say that it's not divinely inspired. They just want to say, well, it's just written by men. But Scripture has proven over and over again to be reliable. It's proven not, not just to be reliable and trustworthy, but it's proven to make a powerful impact in people's lives. And so this is, this is what this lesson is all about. It's about the impact that Scripture makes. What is the Bible sufficient to do in our life as we make it a priority? Because we know that it is a, it, it, we, we, we need it to become more like Christ. We need to take it in, to read it, to know it, to understand it. What is it sufficient to do? And Psalms 19 speaks of the, the sufficiency of Scripture. And so we're, we're going to go through a few verses here. I have five, I think it's five, five points, five main points from Psalms 19 that really bring out for us what God's Word is sufficient to do in, in our life. So, so let's read Psalm 19. It says, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is a great reward. So what we want to do is we just want to kind of break down each of these little sections here. And there's such great truths that are, are built into here. As the psalmist David describes what the Lord's word does and what it is, what, what it's sufficient to do, let's, let's break it down. So the first one there in your notes from, from, the, from the first verse there says, Scripture is perfect, restoring the soul. And that's from that first section, the law of the Lord is perfect. And so that, that word perfect, when it says that, that the law of the Lord is perfect or Scripture is perfect, that word perfect is translated in the Hebrew with a, with a word meaning whole, complete, or sufficient. So, what the psalmist David is saying about God's word is that it's whole, it's complete. There's nothing lacking to it. That 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 it, there's nothing to be added to it. There's actually a warning in Revelation, the last chapter of Revelation. There's a warning against those who would want to take away from the word of God or to add to it. And 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 psalmist David really points to that 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 it's perfect. And that word perfect again is translated whole, complete. It's lacking nothing. God's word is perfect. It. There's nothing to be added to it. It says here, it says, Scripture is comprehensive. It embodies all that is necessary to one's spiritual life. So, so, but there's a, there's a implied contrast here. So David's implied contrast is with the imperfect, insufficient, flawed reasoning of men. So God's word is whole. It's complete. It's sufficient. It lacks nothing. And when you compare it 
to man's reasoning, to man's understanding, to man's attempts at figuring out what life is all about, trying to answer the big questions of life, doesn't, it doesn't even compare. God's Word is sufficient and flawless. You know, God's Word answers the big questions of life. Why are we here? Well, we know why we're here, because God created us. You know, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then we see in through Genesis how God created man and created woman. And so God's word in comparison to the reasoning and the musings of man, there's no there's no comparison. I mean, you just you just look at life. You look at people and their pursuits in life and you look at the things that they pursue based upon their desires and the way they and what they think is important in life. And you see so many people, you know, like, I know there was just, there's been a string of people that are taking their own life, you know, like movie stars and lead singers of, of bands. And you just see that over the years. It's just, it's a continual stream of people that, that appear to have it all, appear to have success and fame and, and money and houses and, and, and respect and esteem from people. And they're trying to do life based upon their own reasoning, their own understanding, their own feelings. And, they're, and, and, and you know, now I, I'm not saying that suicide is the end for all people that go that route. But there's a sense of meaninglessness that people live with whenever they distance themselves from the ultimate meaning of life. Well, why, are, why are we here? When they don't have those answers to those questions. And, and so what David is saying here is that the word of the Lord is perfect. It's whole. It's complete. It's sufficient. It lacks nothing. And so because it is that, because that's what God's word is, it has the power to restore the soul, to restore the soul. And that's what it says there. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. So scripture affects people. This is in your notes here by restoring the soul. The, the word Hebrew, the, the Hebrew word for restore has the meaning of converting, refreshing, and transforming. And then the word soul, that refers to one's person, self, or, or heart. The, the essence of it is the inner person, the whole person, the real you. So here, so here's the two thoughts in that first verse. God's word is sufficient, it's complete, it's whole, it lacks nothing, we don't need to add anything to it, take anything from it, it has the answers of, of, of life, Answers why we're here. It, it answers. It gives the answer of why is there sin, why is there destruction, why is there pain, why is there suffering, and then it gives the answer of the solution. What is the solution to the world's problems? And it's Jesus Christ. And so, because Scripture reveals to us in a special way of who Christ is, it has the power to restore our soul and to save us. And you're you are are a recipient of that you are here because you have been restored because you have been transformed you know as a as a pastor uh, we get to see throughout the years as i've worked here and then in previous churches if you've been a christian for any length of time you will see the continual steady stream of people that come in to our church or to any other church and they're, they're just completely different they, they, they become transformed their soul is restored who they really are on the inside is changed. And you can really mark them out. Those that have had radical changes, crazy lifestyle changes, you can, you can mark them out. They're, they're, they're the ones that are at the altar crying their eyes out. They're the ones that are loud and boisterous, excited, wanting to tell everybody about what God has done because it's been a radical change. God has completely restored them, transformed them. 
And that is at the heart of what God's Word does. It is perfect. It's flawless. It's complete. It lacks nothing. And because it is that, because it is the very words of God, it has the power to take somebody who's addicted to drugs, addicted to alcohol, addicted to crazy lifestyles of sin. It can take an atheist who doesn't believe in God, doesn't believe that God exists. And through the power of God's word, it can totally transform that person's life. I had lunch with a former, a former atheist. Um, what's today? Sunday? Um, <laughs> on Friday. And I didn't know he was an atheist. And so he just, it's a brother that goes to our church. And so he told me he used to be an atheist. He told me his story. And, and he just showed up at, to Living Word Church one day on Valhai. And he just started hearing God's word taught. And he, he, he heard his first Sunday, he told me, he said, I went into the service and I thought, all right, I'm going to check this out. He said, but I'm waiting for, I'm waiting for the shakedown. <laughs> I'm waiting for them to pass the plate and start trying to get people's money. And Pastor Nay never did it. <laughs> He didn't come on the first of the month, Sunday. <laughs> so his first two or three Sundays weren't the first of the month. And so it actually meant a lot to him, you know, that, that week in and week out, the pastor's not up there asking for money, begging for money. And even on the first of the month, we don't beg for money. We don't, we don't try to twist your arm and tell you, you know, you gotta give your money or and if you don't, God's gonna curse you or, or if you do, God's gonna, God's gonna give you a Mercedes Benz and all that type of stuff. And so, God used, that was what God, one of the first things God used to open up his heart. Okay, well, if this, what's, if this is not his gig, if he's not after people's money, why is he doing this? And so it's just a series of Sundays, week after week, month after month, was confronted with the truth of God's word, and it had the power to transform his life. Now he's been a Christian for 12 years, he's married, um, he's just, God's blessing his life, and, but he's completely different. That's what God's word can do. Can take even somebody who doesn't believe he exists, and can can, can can completely change them. So that that that's the first thing that the word of God is sufficient to do. It is sufficient to transform us, to restore our soul. Secondly, the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. That word testimony speaks of Scripture as being a divine witness to who God is and what He requires of us. So. That word testimony speaks that Scripture declares who God is. So people always, they want to know who is God? What does He look like? Where, where, where can I find God? Where can I know about who God is? Well, Scripture says of itself that it is a testimony. It is declaring something about God. God's Word testifies about who He is, His nature, that God is holy, that God is mighty and strong, that He's faithful, that He's good, that He's merciful, that He's gracious, that He's to be feared and reverenced. God is sovereign. He's powerful. And God is Jesus. So we want to know who God is. What does God look like? Philip asked Jesus in the Gospels, show us the Father. What does the Father look like? And Jesus says, have you been with me this long that you still don't know what the Father looks like and who He is? And Jesus makes the famous statement when you've seen me speaking of himself you've seen the father so who is god well god is all those things that i just said but god is jesus jesus is the son of god jesus is god manifested in the flesh so when we want to know who god is when we want to know more about him when we want to know his character and his nature and his character traits and what 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 he's like what he values what he thinks is important 
we go no further than Scripture. The, the, the Scripture is a testimony of who God is. It's a divine witness to who God is and what He requires of us. The, the word sure. So the testimony of the Lord, of who He is, is sure. So that word sure means it's unwavering, immovable, unmistakable, reliable, and worthy to be trusted. And so it is sure. We can, we can go to God's Word and we can have a trustworthy account of what God says and how He speaks to us. You know, so many people, they want to, they want to know God and they want to know what He has to say. And they, and, and, and even Christians, they can get into this trap of looking for it in so many different ways outside of God's Word. They will m- minimize God's Word and they will prioritize other things as a way to hear God's voice. And they will, they will take, just as, just, just, just as I said when I started out, they will take the very words of God that He has spoken and they will place it almost secondary in their life. Yet at the, at the same time, they're declaring, I, I want to know God. Who is God? What does God have to say? He, I, I need Him to speak to me. And they will ignore the very divinely inspired words that God has given us. It's an interesting story here, uh, account here in Second Peter. This is, this is Peter's describing the Mount of Transfiguration in the Gospels whenever he got to witness the transfigured Christ on the mountain. And it was this amazing experience. So, second, so Peter talks about it here. It says, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. It's very key there. He, he's saying that I was an eyewitness. This is not just an ordinary man, he's saying here. I saw the transfigured Christ in all of his glory. There was a glory cloud all around him. He was a bright, shining light. I was an eyewitness of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice, he heard a voice come from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Can you imagine that moment? with Peter on the mountain, and he sees the transfigured Christ in bright light and glory, and there's a voice coming from heaven saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Wouldn't you think that is all you'd ever need in your life? (laughs) Right? You would think, I had this amazing experience in God and with God in His presence, and that is all I will ever need because I have encountered something that is real. Listen to what he says here. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have something more sure. Some translations say, but we have something more sure. What in the world could you say is more sure than that type of experience? The prophetic word is what he says. Now, that word prophetic word is not speaking of prophetic like you would think of predictive or, or prophecy, somebody coming and prophesying, but it's speaking of God's Word, God's Word that we preach, that we declare, that we speak. We have something more sure than this experience that we've had. We have the Word of God to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. So, Something more sure than our personal experiences is God's Word. You know, I, I, I grew up in church settings, in church circles where um, 
feel like there was an overemphasis on what I would call, I guess, call the altar call time, an overemphasis on, I guess, e- emotionally driven experiences, you know, and, and, uh, and what I'm about to say here, I'm not downplaying any of that, but I felt like there was an overemphasis on it at the expense of the sufficiency and the trustworthiness of Scripture. And so people, I, I, I was led to believe that if I was going to really encounter God and really know God and get to know his heart, I had to experience something in his presence. Whether And it had to be connected with something physical I'd feel in my body, whether it was goosebumps or, or in church circles I came from, falling out on, on the ground and just just crazy stuff that would happen. And so I, I, I grew up like that. I grew up in Pentecostal churches, um, charismatic-driven type churches, kind of like super charismatic churches. And just experienced lots of crazy things. And so when, when I, when I became, uh, felt a call to preach at, you know, 12, but then when I first started preaching at 18, that was my paradigm of ministry. You know, my dad was a preacher and he was what you called a Holy Ghost preacher and he would, he'd preach that fire and that Holy Ghost would fall and people would start acting crazy. And that, that was my view of ministry. I had no view that a pastor, a preacher's job is to teach God's word, you know, and so, there were a series of things that God brought into my life and opening my eyes and using my wife. I began to realize that that my Christian experience, if it's based on emotionalism, and it's based on what I experience at the altar or my emotional encounters with God, then who I view God to be and my trustworthiness of Him is dependent upon how I feel. And how many of you know your feelings are not worthy to be trusted? Because one day I'm going to feel like I'm close to God and the next day I'm not. What happens if I go to the altar and I pray and I plead and I cry and I don't feel anything? Then my relationship with the Lord is based upon my encounter. And this is what Peter is saying here. We have something more sure. Now, it doesn't mean that God doesn't do those things. It doesn't mean that you don't feel God's presence. You know, this morning, little rabbit trail here, uh, I was looking on Planning Center, which is the app we use for all the to plan to, to, to schedule the volunteers here at church. And um, and I can look at the the songs that are going to be sung for Sunday morning. And so they have this song called Awesome that they're going to be singing this morning. And that's got to be one of my wife's favorite songs. <laughs> she loves that song. I, I mean, I think it's okay. It's not one of my favorites, but she loves it. So if you watch her up front, she's going to be jamming out this this morning. And I bet you she's going to be feeling something in her in her emotions because that song touches her heart. And there is. That, that's beautiful. We are emotional beings. We are made to encounter God's presence in an emotional way, and that's that that's that's good. But whenever the emotions trump the the sufficiency and the truth of God's word, and we downplay it, it's it's a bad path to go on. And then you start, and then what happens is is that you're susceptible to believe craziness because God's word is not your anchor. So God's word, the testimony of the Lord, it speaks to who He is. We can know who God is from His Word, and it is sure. It is more sure than our personal experiences. Even when you don't feel God, God is real. And here's what it does. Because that's what it does, it makes wise the simple. This is on the next page. In the phrase, making wise the simple, the word simple comes from an expression meaning an open door. So that word simple, when it's translated out, it means an open door. So, Scripture makes wise the simple. Somebody, their life is like an open door. 
He gives us the image of a naive person who doesn't know when to shut his mind to false or impure thinking. So this sure testimony about who God is, his character, his nature, who he is, it's trustworthy, it's sure, and it has the ability to take somebody as they study it, as they hear God's word taught. Maybe they were naive when they first got saved and they really, they were, they were like children that were tossed to and fro, as it says in Ephesians 4, carried about by winds of doctrine. They were naive, but as they develop and hear God's word, it's like that door is closed in their mind, and they are no longer susceptible to just be naive and be led astray. That's what God's word does. It matures you. It helps you to grow. It makes wise the simple. So a simple person that is easily deceived, when they take God's word in, it matures them. And that door to, to believing false doctrine and false things is closed. God makes the simple, naive person wise. He fills the mind with discernment. We need discernment in the body of Christ. And it makes it skilled in all the issues of life. So, so thirdly, Scripture is right, causing joy. Now, this phrase here, Scripture being right, causing joy, that, that, that word right describes finding the right path. It's, it's, it's right. It's the right way. It's the right path. The truths of Scripture lay out the proper path through the difficult maze of life. I have written there, so many people today are distressed because they lack direction and purpose. And Scripture, Scripture can give us a clear path like a light shining in the darkness. Walk this direction. You know, I, on Wednesday I was talking about um, about knowing knowing God's will. And um, sometimes we overcomplicate it. But scripture scripture makes it very clear what is right and what is wrong and which direction to walk in. And and you know, when me and Estelle were dating, I was so worried about marrying the wrong person because I didn't want to miss God's will. And that you know, you, you want to be careful about who you marry. It's a very important decision. You don't want to marry the wrong person. So I was but I think I was overly Concern, like I, I, to, to the point of being paralyzed to make a good choice. And um, so my, my mom had a conversation with me. She got real practical, and so she went through these list of three or four questions, and she said, "You know, are you attracted to her?" And uh, that that that's pretty much number one on the guy's list. <laughs> if you're talking to a girl, you know, there might be a, it might not be the number one. That, that's kind of crazy for guys to think about, but they may not. Your your, your wife is. Doesn't she, she doesn't have to, you don't have to be a hunk for a, a woman, right? That's why you got these supermodel ladies married to these these guys that you're like, how did he get her? It's because women's needs are different than men's. But for men, well, mom asked me the first question: Are you attracted to her? Yes, I think she's beautiful. And then her second question was, Does she love the Lord? Yes, I mean, like she loves him more than me, I think. Um, and then she said, Does she feel called in, into ministry? Because you have a ministry call. And I said, she, yes, she does. She's loves to, she loves missions. She, before I met Estelle, she went on six or seven different mission trips all over the world. And so she has a, a ministry heart. She said, well, what are you waiting on? Ask her to marry you. You know, like, like, why, what are you, you're, you're complicating this. And so, and so there's principles in scripture that, you know, God's word, I think I couldn't go to God's word and open it up. And God's word say, Mary Estelle Foray. It wasn't there. And sometimes I think that's what we're looking for. Take the job at Halliburton. Okay, well, 
it's not there. But what does God's word do? There are general principles that guide the way that we live, that make our paths straight, that make it clear, that make it plain, that shine a light for us. And there's principles of faithfulness, of integrity, of character, and just general principles of scripture that help us make good decisions based upon the truths of God's word. And so this is what God's word does. It's right. It gives us the right path. And because of that, it causes joy. You know, we may not have all the answers to every single situation that we face. And I may not know what the future is going to hold. You know, I don't know what's going to happen next year when Pastor Renee leaves. <laughs> 500 people might leave. I don't know. I'm kind of freaking out about it. But, but I don't know. But you know what I do know? Is that whatever I'm called to do right in front of me, I'm going to take that step. God, God, God's word calls me to be faithful. So I'm going to be faithful. God's word calls me to be a man of, of integrity. So I'm going to be a man of integrity. God's word as a shepherd makes it very clear what my responsibilities are. So I'm just going to do that. And every, everything else, whatever, the, whatever happens with the church, I'm leaving it up to God. God's going to have to do this thing, right? But that's how we live our life in, in all of our lives. What has God called you to do? Who is he? What is his character? What is his nature? What are his requirements? Well, you know those things, so live that way. And God will make your next step clear. God will, God will do that. And, and because of that, there's a peace and there's a joy in our hearts knowing that God's got this. He's in control. He's ordering our steps. God's word not only provides light to our path, but it sets the route before us. Because God's word steers us through the right course of life, his word brings us great joy. Number four. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The word commandment, now this is this gets a little uh, difficult for people here, especially those that aren't Christians, but the word commandment stresses the Bible's no optional nature. It is the commandment of the Lord. David describes God word, God's word as a commandment. It is not a book of suggestions. It is divine mandates. Its divine mandates are authoritative and binding. So, Sometimes people don't like the commandment nature of God's word. Some people don't like it when God's word says it is wrong to sin in that area or, or this area. This is a sin and that's a sin. People don't like to be told that. Even as Christians, sometimes God's word will confront us or it will always con- confront us if we're struggling in areas of sin. And sometimes we can struggle with that. But God's word, it's, it's not, it's not unclear. God's word is clear. You know, I, was listening to um, was listening to this preacher, this 84 year old preacher that I really respect, and I, I um, I've, I've got several of his books, and um, and then just two weeks ago he it was his he said it was his final interview uh, publicly, and he was going to retire from public ministry and interviews and taking speaking engagements, and so his final interview they asked him a question about. Uh, same-sex marriage and he just blew it just blew it just affirmed it said he's basically changed changed his mind and i had no idea that he was like that you know and and he said it's been 20 plus years of his mind being changed and i just my first question was to, to this brother you are a scholar you know god's word what do you do about that? What do you do about God's word? God's word is clear on issues of sin and righteousness. What do you do with it? 
as a pastor, as a pastor for 35 years, what do you do with that? What do you just say, well, it's just not true. I don't believe it anymore. Well, if you don't believe it there, then maybe it's not true in Genesis. And, and maybe it's not true in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Maybe it's not true in Revelation. Where is it true and where is it not true? You can't be selective. Either it's God's Word or it's not God's Word. Either it's true or it's not. And so whenever we don't like the commandments of God, we don't like what it says, we, don't, we can't try to turn God's Word into Plato and make it into whatever we want it to be. God's Word is God's Word. Either you don't like it at all and you reject it, or if you believe it's God's word, you receive it and you say, God, I don't, maybe I don't understand how that works. I need to be enlightened more. I need you to help me with this. But you have to, you got to land on either side. Either it's all God's word or it's not. And so God's word is a commandment. It is a divine, it, it is filled with divine mandates because it comes from God. It is true. And whether we like the commandments or not, whether we like what it says or not, Still, it is still true. It's a no optional nature. That's why when Jesus came, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father except through me. It's no, it's no optional. It's non, it's non optional. And the world doesn't like that. But that, that's the nature of the Bible. It's the nature of the, of the gospel. It is an exclusive gospel. It is not have Jesus and have a little bit of Oprah and have a little bit of this new age mysticism and have a little bit of this and that and have a little Cajun gumbo mix of religion and just whatever works for you. No, that's not what the Bible is. I think sometimes when people figure out that's what the Bible is, they're like, okay, I don't know if I want that. I kind of like my options. But God's word is clear. And it says, okay, so the, the command of the Lord is, 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 is pure. It enlightens the eye. So, it is a commandment. It's a no optional nature, but it says that it's pure. Pure can be better translated clear. God's word is clear, and this is what I've been saying. It's clear. It's easily understandable. It brings understanding in the place of ignorance. And because of that, it enlightens the eyes of our understanding. So the commandment of the Lord is pure. It enlightens our eyes. And then lastly, Scripture is clean, enduring forever. David uses the word fear in this section there to describe God's word. Uh, the fear of the Lord is, is clean, but fear uh, speaks of the reverential awe for God and his word. The fear of the Lord, that the scripture, God's word is, is clean. It endures forever. And so that word translated clean speaks of the absence of impurity. Scripture is without evil, corruption, or error. Scripture is flawless. Some people will say, well, the, the Bible is full of errors and contradictions. You know, there's lots of arguments that people will make, and this is not a class or the last 10 minutes of the class to uh, deal with any of those arguments. But if you want to do research on that and you have heard people say, well, Scripture is just full of errors and contradictions, there's a lot of material out there where men who have devoted their life to, to demonstrate for us the trustworthiness of, of Scripture. Uh, Josh McDowell is one guy who has, who has done that. You can look up books by, by him. Josh McDowell, Lee Strobel. Um, there's lots of men who have spent their life defending the trustworthiness of, of Scripture. And, and in my studies in Bible college and throughout the years around this subject about whether the Bible has errors, there, is, there has never been a single case that anybody has made throughout history, throughout the history of Scripture that has held water, that has lasted. And so Scripture is clear. 
It's without error. It's true. And why is it without error? It's because of the, the source, because it comes from God. It's God's words. And here's, here's because it's God's word, because it's clear, it's clean, it's pure, it's without evil, corruption, or error, it endures forever. Because Scripture is flawless, it endures forever. God's word, if there are human beings on this planet a thousand years from now, people will be reading the Bible. They have been saying that Christianity is dead, God is dead, the Bible is outdated. For centuries, they've been trying to say Christianity is on its last legs. God's word is, is going to eventually be insignificant. If there are people on this planet 10,000 years from now, the Bible will be the number one bestseller because it endures forever. God's word endures forever. You know, there are, there are books that are written that have been written for thousands of years that people have forgotten and know nothing about. But the Bible will never be forgotten. And why, why is it? That is significant. It's because of what it is. It is God's very words. People can try to downplay it, try to push it out, but it will always come to the surface because there's something about it. Because, and what it is, is, is it's very, it's God's very words. It endures forever. Many people believe the Bible is outdated. It's not sophisticated enough for our educated society. Scripture needs no updating, editing, or refining. Whatever time or culture you live in, it is eternally relevant and its truths are enduring for every generation the human condition is the same whether it was in bible days or ten thousand years from now people are people they deal with the same problems and the same issues that all stem from the fall of man that we see in the book of genesis and so the only book that has ever proven to have the answers to the issues of life that really last is god's word because god's the one god's the creator and he made us and he's written a book he's given us a book that teaches us how to navigate life. Where are the big answers? And they're found in God's Word. And so that's why the priority of Living Word Church will always be to teach God's Word. And that's what, we're, that's what, we, that's what we have always, that's what the Passionary has done for 38 plus years, and that's what I will do. We will open the Bible on Sundays, and we're going to teach God's Word to God's people. And you're going to grow in your faith, and you're going to mature and, and we're, we're, we're not going to become so sophisticated and, and multi, multi, uh, what's the word? Technical and entertainment driven that we're going to downplay God's word. No, we're going to, we're going to teach God's word. There's no trend in Christianity that will get us to try to push God's word off into the, into the corner. We are going to consistently and steadily teach God's word because we believe it is His Word, and it is true, and it endures forever, and it's clean, and it's pure. It's worthy to be trusted. Helps you, helps give the answers to your life. Helps you to mature in Christ. So, God's Word is sufficient to save you, to sanctify you, to make you more like Christ, to help you answer the big questions of life. God's Word is powerful. So I just encourage you uh, to love God's Word, to read God's Word, to don't get don't get discouraged when you don't understand God's word. Go get help. Ask somebody. I don't get this. Come talk to me. I may not have the answer, but I can point you in a, a direction that will help you. So, love God's word. Amen? Amen. Lord, we thank you for this lesson. And Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you didn't leave us by ourselves. You didn't just uh, create us and leave us to ourselves. Lord, you have given us your word to be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path, to direct our life. Lord, your word transforms us. 
and changes us. And Lord, I pray that we would prioritize it, that we, 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 we would not allow ourselves to get too busy for your word. May we never be too busy to read your word and what you've spoken to us. Lord, and as we do it, God, as we hear your word preached and as we read it, as we study it, Lord, I know your word's going to change us and mature us, give us direction and wisdom and peace and joy. And I thank you for this class. Thank you for, for their faithfulness. I speak a blessing over their life, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 All right. Well, we'll see you. Uh, Pastor Freddie, we'll see you this next week.